This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Sky Blues Extra. Hello and welcome to another special episode of the Sky Blues Extra podcast with me, David Moore, Andrew Greasley, Tom Ward and a very, very special guest. Born in Dublin, Ireland, he started his career at Celtic and after a loan spell in Denmark, he joined the Sky Blues. In two spells at the club, he amassed over 370 appearances. He scored 26 goals, including some stunning strikes. Let's listen to a few of those now. Doyle has to be favourite here, you would think. Walls back the 10 yards. Left foot in beauty. 1-1. And Doyle with a peach. Draw taking to eight points. Moves on to Doyle. Almost inviting the shooting. Does! And Doyle has scored! It is, of course, the one and only, the irreplaceable Michael Doyle. Michael, thank you for joining us this evening. I'm sure the thousands of listeners at home will be looking forward to hearing your Skyview story as much as we are. Yeah, yeah. Thanks very much for having us, lads. Uh, looking forward to doing it. And uh, obviously at this time, uh, time of year, while well, what's going on, it's uh, hopefully it's something good for some fans and that to listen to and get a bit of insight on, on myself and me time at Coventry. So looking forward to it. Brilliant. And Michael, I actually want to kick off from where it all started for you at Coventry. Firstly, you're on trial and you impressed Gary McAllister in a number of reserve team games to be then be offered your full contract and making your first team debut. What, what do you sort of remember from that time? I just, obviously, you know, I'd uh, spell out in Denmark when I was at Celtic and uh, really enjoyed it. And, and I went back to Celtic, kind of, I was wanting to stay in Denmark originally, and this was a year before I joined Coventry. Martin O'Neill had said to me at the time, look, give it, give it another year. Um, myself and Liam Miller, uh, 
sadly passed away. God bless him. Uh, he was a very close friend. Me and Liam went out to uh, Denmark together. And uh, yeah, and I came back, but it wasn't, you know, Celtic had high hopes for Liam. But with myself, you're sort of saying, look, you've done really well out there. Just give it another year. And uh, if, you, if it's not happening for you, you know, come sort of January, we'll let you try and get away and get yourself sorted. So I was, I, I kind of realistically knew at that stage that I wasn't going to make it at Celtic. But I think I'd done quite well out in Denmark, scored some goals that they were thinking, you know, let's see how much he's developed, you know, because I'd always done quite well at Celtic in the sense of uh, when I went in there, like um, I went in quite late on a year's contract. I went in, I was just hitting 18 and I hit the ground running. I was scoring goals week in, week out in the youth team and reserves. I'd, uh, you know, I, I could, believe it or not, I could actually nick a goal going into the box back then. And when I went away and started playing uh, some four-team games in Denmark, I'd done quite well. And I think they wanted to see, you know, possibly could I... I think they knew I wasn't going to make it, but they are just making sure that I didn't. So I stayed the year. But in that year that I was there, I was fortunate enough when I first signed for Celtic that Eric Black was sort of assistant manager with the force team under John Barnes and Kenny Dalglish and that. And Eric kind of took a liking to us. And uh, right. my reserve team manager at uh, at Celtic was very close to Eric Kenny McDowell. Uh, Kenny was like a massive mentor to myself, really took me under his wing. And Kenny had said to me, you know, during that year, the second when I went back to Celtic, when I wasn't really playing and that in the reserves, because there was an under-21s rule. And, you know, I'd gone from playing first team football in Denmark then to struggling to play in the reserves. And, you know, it wasn't a bad thing because at Celtic and all my time there, it's probably one of our greatest ever teams at Celtic in the Martin O'Neill years. Yeah. Like they were just, they were unbelievable. And, you know, what has set me up for was an unbelievable education. You know, it was, as I said, I'd done quite well in the reserves and, and um, I was always scoring goals in big games and reserves and that. And, but every time I got the opportunity, it was such a cutthroat environment to Celtic, so competitive. Every time I got the opportunity to step up to the fourth team level, oh, I was uh, I found it difficult, you know, because it was just it was you know it was so fast and frantic. You were you were training. Yeah. It was it was quite like frequent. You wouldn't get a lot of opportunities. You'd probably only get two opportunities a year, and you had to take it. And you know, the couple of times I got. You know, I didn't take it. I was the level was too good for me. I wasn't up to the standard of training. I, things would be breaking down with me, and it was tough. You know, uh, tough mentally and your confidence. But what I didn't realise at the time, this was building me up for my career, and it was building character into me. You know, yeah. like, bloody hell. You know, it was tough because everybody. It was even in the academy environment in Celtic. It was so competitive. You know, it was like. There was just top players everywhere and, you know, it was the training environment in the academy back then when we were in the reserves. It was like, we used to call a fight club because it was like, it was, it was it was like, you know, the tackles that would be going in every game was like, a, was like a, was like a match every training session. But we were the best of friends, like, you know, we were, but we went hammering tongs at it, like, you know, and it was that environment, it was that competitive and, uh as you say, it was the the chances to grow up at that force team with the players they had. It was uh, it was few and far between, but it, it it set me up. And I went to Denmark then and did really well. And I was ready for that important. Went to Denmark. It was was nowhere near obviously the level at Celtic, but it kind of gave me that um, environment of force team football, playing in front of crowds. And you know, I'd gone over there and was probably one of their main players. And I was only a sort of a young lad and. I was getting to sort of play against your Brombies in Copenhagen. I was scoring in goals against like in these games. It was 
you know, that was the start of my career. And then to go back to Celtic and uh, I was, I knew it was disheartening a bit. But, you know, Eric came down with Gary McAllister, I think, watched a couple of reserve games. And then, um, you know, I sort of went and spoke to Martin O'Neill around March time and just said, look, I'm not, not playing. Things are, uh, I'm not going to, you know, do it here. And he just said, look, no problem, I'll keep me word. He said, you go and try and uh, get yourself sorted, he said. And if, uh, if, you get yourself, if you don't get yourself sorted, come back and there'll be another year here if you so for me, uh, at that age, it was, it was kind of... A massive weight off my shoulders to, to yeah, go. Yeah, must have been a relief. Yeah, but it was like I, I probably would have never took him up and gone back there, you know, to Celtic in the sense of going back and, and taking another year. I think that wasn't my character, but it was a big relief to to kind of have that bit of like luxury to go out and try something. And funny enough, I went out to Red um, the Metro Stars in New York, who are now uh, Red Bull uh, New York, you know, the team and uh, the MLS. Yeah. And I went there for two weeks um, and Bob Bradley, the American manager who'd done quite well in the World Cup and Mo Johnson, uh, them two were sort of the manager and assistant and uh, I knew in my head I was sort of going out for a holiday for two weeks and, uh, you know, just a different experience. But I knew in my head I was going to Coventry on a, on a trial for a couple of weeks later. So in my head I was thinking, look, I don't care what happens. I want to go to Coventry because I was looking at Coventry. They were in the championship. They were down. I knew they were a massive club. So I went out there for two weeks and I got back and I was straight down to Coventry then and uh, it was just like, it was, it was just a bit surreal driving into Skybill Lodge with Eric Black that first Monday morning and uh, you're going into the dressing room and, you know, Richard Shaw and, you know, Safri and Chip, you know, all the players that were there and I'm this young kid kind of coming in and, uh, <laughs> yeah, like I still, I still remember it, you know what I mean? I still remember it. I was a bit butterflies, you know, because I'd watched, as you say, you watched all these players and I, I knew Coventry was a massive club, you know, I'd watched Coventry for, you know, I was an avid football fan and I'd watched Coventry for years and Highfield Road and, you know, always competing in the Premier League, staying up, all the miracle survivals and that, I'd seen it all and uh, I was thinking, bloody hell, I'm getting to go to Coventry, so it was a bit of a, you know, surreal moment to get there, but one that, like, it was kind of, I knew it was a year in the making, I knew it was kind of, when I'd, when I'd stayed at Celtic, there was a chance of going down to Coventry the year before. So I was thinking, I just hope I get that chance. It was it was something that had kind of been in my mind for a year. To the opportunity might be there to get to Coventry if, if Eric and that were still right. there. Okay, you know. So I was looking at it, and yeah, I got down and first morning the train, and I went in and trained. I just took to it straight away, and that's what I say that the character building of them few years ago at Celtic when I really struggled stepping up in a forced team environment. Or, you know, all them knockbacks and setbacks that I sort of had and the disappointments thinking you weren't ready, I was ready now. And I just remember the first training session, training with all these players in massive number and I kind of felt comfortable and I thought, yeah, I'm ready for this now. And, and I was and, and I sort of took the opportunity. I think I played two reserve games, one against Ipswich and straight away they said, yeah, we, we, we'd like to, to take you. And uh, then I played against Chelsea in a reserve game. But... Look, I was lucky. I was. I, I consider myself very lucky to play for Coventry because of circumstance. You know, they'd fallen out of the Premier League. They'd give a one shot with with the squad. I think to yeah. try and bounce straight back up, and they didn't. And they needed to sort of go a different route. And that was by signing young, hungry players. And fortunately for me, unbelievably for me, I fell into that category. You know. 
And you were at Coventry for eight years in your your first spell with the club and, and obviously played under a lot of different managers during that time. Um, you know, the likes of Gary McAllister, Peter Reid, Mickey Adams, Ian Dowie, just to name a few. Do you have a favourite manager from the first spell? Not really, no, because, uh, look, they were all great. Like, like Mickey Adams, like, you know, I let Mickey down a few times getting sent off and stupid behaviour on training ground and things like that. And he used to, you know, he'd, he'd strip me down and, you know, but he'd always back me, you know, so many times. Like, you know, I'll never forget it when I think one time at Mickey, like, I'd caused a bit of trouble in training, believe it or not, <laughs> on the Friday, yeah. Uh, I think we were playing Wolves on a Friday and a few of the lads weren't happy. I think I got the yellow bib and training and I lost a head. It used to be young v old. And when they do the yellow bib and training, it was, uh, you, you know, whoever won and, and the, the old won and they they picked me and I lost a head because I was running around like a lunatic trying my arse off. And, uh, you know, they, they obviously knew. It was like basically you'd pick whoever bite the most, get the biggest reaction. And I did bite. I think I threw the bib back at the first team players. And being young and naive, I said to them, you effing have it, you know, you have been rubbish all year, which was terrible. But it was just an instant reaction of that was me. You know, I was like, I'd always say things I kind of regret, but I was just, I was a winner in a sense. And I trained how I played and Mickey, he went mad at me. He was like, get off the training ground. And the senior players weren't happy with me. And, uh, Oh, that's a disgrace, this and that. And they were right, I was. I was young, I was naive, and uh, I will never forget it. On the Saturday of the game, we pulled up the Hoyfield Road, and Mickey pulled me into his office, and he says, uh, what's going on? That was, you know, you can't be doing that. Yes, I said, yeah, I know, I've had time to think about it. I'm sorry. And he goes, look, you know, really, other people wouldn't play it, this and that. And, you know, it was a long story. You know, apologise to the lads, and uh, I'm going to play you today. Don't let me down. And I went out. We played Wolves. I think we drew two all. And they had Paul Ince and Colin Cameron that midfield. I think we drew two all. It was a great game. And I just remember like being kind of being everywhere and, you know, really just putting a shift in for the lads, first of all. Cause it, but, you know, more so for Mickey for, for, for backing me, you know. And, and that was, uh, he was great to me, Mick. Like, you know, I had me ups and downs, up like every manager. But, you know, we always, he, he took a liking to me because I was fit and that was the way Mick went. Dowie really enjoyed working under Ian Dowie. He, he was he was great. It was just unfortunate. You know, he came in when the club was struggling, gave the club a massive lift. And again, he was all, he, he'd done it at sort of Palace and I felt like, well, yeah, we're getting this manager. And him to me, he was always like, look at this, the takeover going to happen. We've massive plans and... You know, he, at that stage, he was saying to me, look, I want to build a team around people like yourself and we're going to get this player and that player, this American takeover is going to happen. So it was all exciting times and I was thinking, this is going to be amazing. Went back pre-season, did an unbelievable like pre-season, really swimming every morning at six o'clock we used to. Then we'd, we'd train at 10 o'clock and be on the running track. Like we were fit, fit as I was ever been. It was like, and I loved it. It was, it was proper like, you know, physical training, but I loved it and was training three times a day. And, you know, I think maybe Ian got a bit disheartened when the takeover didn't happen. And then Ray Ranson's takeover took over. And I don't think they seen Ian as the type of guy. But I think their their remit was totally different to the way Ian had planned with buying some, you know, big players and getting Coventry up to the Premier League. Whereas when Ray Ranson came in, I think Ray had gone down the route of trying to sign young players, make a, make a profit on them and sell them on. And, uh you know, it was totally different and obviously Ian lost his job pretty pretty quick after that takeover. Um AD Bootroyd was, you know, it was a 
he was very good, very organised, tactically brilliant, uh, but a style of football. It was, you know, obviously a lot of fans and that had issues with it once results started drying up. But I quite enjoyed working with with Aidy as well. He was, uh, as I say, he was a brilliant coach, very enthusiastic, and um, yeah, it was just my time. Kind of, I left just before Aidy uh, Aidy got sacked, but I enjoyed working with him. You know. Um, yeah, that that's. I don't think I'm really missing anybody there. You know, Adrian Heath was a he was a great coach. You know, really had a short stay, and Adrian was just brilliant. You know, and full of enthusiasm, great, great with the players, great coach. But you know, was quite driven behind it all. And um, you know, he, he's he's gone out to America and done brilliant. Um, Eric Black for me was. You know, he was the one that got away. Really, I think. I think Coventry missed a massive, a massive trick when, when they when they got um, when they got rid of Eric. It was it was ridiculous, really, at the time. I'll never forget it. I think we we were on a good run of winning games. Eric had took over, really, give the club a, a lift, seeing them through difficult times, and then I think we went down to Gillingham on a Saturday and we won five two and. Uh, I'll never forget. I think man, we're speaking to we we were two 0 up and they came back to all and we won the game five two and I think one of the excuses the lads are saying the dressing room that they used with Eric at the time was that oh, you nearly lost the game Saturday and Eric was like what do you mean I nearly lost one five two yeah you were two 0 up and they came back to all but I think it was you know uh, they just wanted to bring Peter Reid in bit of a name and uh, you know and Eric lost his job but you know Eric went on to sort of. You know, unbelievable. He, he he had a brilliant CV as it was, but you know, managing at Celtic and assistant manager, then going to Birmingham with Steve Bruce and that, and yeah. being at some amount of clubs, like he, he was certainly one that got away from Coventry. You know, I think a lot of the supporters feel that as well. And and we've previously spoke to obviously we had Mick Sheffrey previously, and he said that at the time it was a, a bit of a strange one, but the club in that sort of direction wasn't it? They wanted to try and bring in a, a sort of big name and and catapult that and. But I think I think like you said, Eric Black was a, a really really one that got away. Yeah, it was. Yeah, I was a shock, and obviously it was unfortunate with Gary McAllister. You know, was uh, you know what happened to him, and he had to step down. And you know, Eric came in and steadied it, and you know it had been an up and down season, but we really finishing strong at that stage and playing with a lot of confidence. So I always remember like we played Preston in that season and that, and we beat them four 0 on a Tuesday night at Highfield Road. We were. You know, we were, you know, just little games like that when Eric was in charge. We we were a good, we were we were a decent outfit for the level we were playing at. You know, and I always felt with him, he was an, he was a top coach, and it was timings everything. And I thought like that's why I think Coventry missed the trick because the CV that Eric had up to that stage at managing a, in Scotland and being in such a massive club in Celtic and that and being assistant manager there, it was like it was perfect time. And I really think he. He could have took the club on to another level. I genuinely believe that, you know, but we'll never know now. Yeah, we had Andy Morell on and he talked very highly of Eric Black, uh, Michael. He said these training methods were like revolutionary. W- were they really that good? Yeah, like, I mean, they were. They were, you were doing things that, you know, probably five, six, seven, ten years ahead of your time in a sense when yeah. you, you know, it was all new, but pre season, that a lot of ball stuff that, probably five, ten years later, everybody's now pre-season with balls and all the stuff he was doing. He was, he was so organised, he had an unbelievable aura about him, you know, that Scottish, yeah. like, you know, he was he was brilliant and I always remember when I first went to Celtic and 
Eric's there on the training ground and he's shouting out the instructions. Then he's shouting them out in French to the French players. You know, we had that. He was he was unbelievable. You know, he's obviously he, he cut his career short through a, a bad back injury when he was at Aberdeen and he took up the coaching and uh, you know he, as I say he built up a great CV. I think he'd been out in France and things like that and. He was, uh, yeah, he was just a, he was a top coach. Like he was well ahead of his time, you know. And the other uh, three that we uh, talked about earlier, like Peter Reid, Gary Mack, what were they like as tacticians? Well, I mean, like for me, playing with Gary McAllister, it was just yeah. I was a Liverpool fan, you know, growing up, and I'd obviously <laughs> be uh, watching, uh, sitting down the pub with my cousins and my mates, and that watching Liverpool win the treble, and Gary McAllister was right in the middle of it, and. Uh, when they won the Europe, the UEFA Cup and the FA Cup and League Cup, and next of all, I was sort of, you know, playing, being around them, and it was uh, he was like he was the player, player manager, and I don't think a lot of the players could handle him because his expectations and the way he was, he just at such high standards. But I loved it, like you know, what I mean, I, you know, we probably thought I was rubbish, but I used to just. You know, I just used to run around and do a lot of the running from in a sense. But I used to love the standards of the man. Like his standards were through the roof and training because he was like, mm-hmm. he was the manager, but he was the best player by a, by a country mile. Like some of the goals he used to score in training or the passing, and he was just like you just sort of stand him in awe. And he was a good manager, you know. But it was always hard because we needed him on the pitch as well. So it must have mm-hmm. been hard to be the manager when you're needed on the pitch and. As I say, Eric was a was a brilliant number two for him. So they they were a great team. Peter Reid was, you know, Peter was was a bit. You know, he came in and our first game, I'll never forget it. He came in and Eric had been sacked, and everybody was a bit disappointed. And it was the last game of the season at Highfield Road. We played uh, Crystal Palace, and Crystal Palace were needing to win to get automatic promotion, and they they'd won something ridiculous like 13, 14 games in a row. They'd, Ian Dowie had took them over and they just went on an unbelievable run from second last in the league I think they went when Ian took over all the way up to the last day if they won they got automatic promotion and uh, we we played them and it was a brilliant game I'll never forget it was on Sky because they were obviously if they won they were up and we beat them 2-1 and it was just end to end like great game and it was really forced forced game and you're thinking this is brilliant and as I say, his man management skills were great. You know, he was around players. Yeah, you, this Adrian was great with the players, the younger players, really just, you know, high hopes for everybody and we're going to bring better players in to make you better. So it was great. It was, I think this is going to be great. And then come the summer, we signed people like Tim Sherwood and that Tim was, he came in with a leg break. I think they'd signed him and, you know, never really got going and signed some players. And then, I don't know, as I say, we sold sold a couple and you know some of the better players like Callum Davenport who was really like sort of gonna coming into being a top player and Callum got sold we signed Stern John and I think by all accounts so because I was young I never really got involved in the politics by all accounts from what you hear in the dressing room it was he just got this illusion that you know he was promised money and things like that and they didn't give it to him so he walked away and yeah I mean it was kind of it was a short spell but I'm nearly sure when Mickey took over though we were we were in around the relegation battles and we were fighting to stay in the division you know that way so it, it hadn't worked out unfortunately you know 
You played in many memorable fixtures at Highfield Road, including the last ever match versus Derby at the ground. Do you have a favourite fixture that you featured in? Well, that last day was that was special, you know. I was funny enough, I was only looking at, you know, I collect loads of sort of football memorabilia, all my programmes and things like that. And I have the old um the games, uh, Highfield Road, I got the DVD of that and I watched it back while all this is obviously going on and it was just like you don't realise how fortunate you are to play on an occasion like that. It was just an unbelievable day. Sort of fairy tale to, to win six two. Um yeah, it was just it was just special. And again, maybe maybe took it a bit for granted, thinking, oh, we're going to this big massive stadium at the Rioch and all that sort of come from that has been disappointment really, if I'm being honest, you know, looking at it from the outside is to be for Coventry to be having to come out a play out of there. It's just it's just not right. But you know, I was just absolutely fascinated by Highfield Road when I was there. I used to walk into the ground every Saturday when it was empty and pitch was immaculate, you know, proper, you know, I don't know many players that like playing in the new grounds. Most of the people I speak to, they love old football grounds, character, and that's what Highfield Road, it was full of character, amazing atmosphere when it got going. Probably one game that stands out for me apart from the Derby game was when we beat West Ham on a Tuesday night, I think we won 2-1, and I think actually Andy Morell scored, and I scored a free kick, and uh I'll probably, that's probably what I remember but you know beating teams like West Ham or Highfield Road you know just just great nights but I think that last game was always uh, always the, probably the special one to finish on the high the way we did it was it was unbelievable you know and again it was a, that was a massive game because if we didn't win that we had to go to Crew the week after and, um, and win otherwise we had got relegated and started league you know started in League One and this amazing new uh, impressive stadium so thankfully for us it went for us on the day it was it was a sentimental game for the fans but I think for players as well it was a massive game that was so important we stayed in the in the in the championship going into that new ground did it feel like on the day that you could start to relax and um, enjoy the occasion towards the sort of second half um, obviously we went into a really early lead and through Gary McSheffrey yeah it was I'll be honest with you, Derby, Derby for me, you, you always get teams. And, and I think for me and my time at Coventry, Derby were always a team that we we kind of had the upper hand on. I don't remember, I probably lost one game against them. And we had quite a number of games where we'd, we'd beaten them quite heavily. And, you know, in that game, listen, we were so well up for that game. We were pumped because of the occasion, full house. We were like pumped up, and I think you could see by the way we went out and started the game. We absolutely blew them away, and uh, it was it was great. And yeah, there's not many times in your career where you get to enjoy a game and sort of take it all in. But yeah, I did. I did. You know, I think the lads did, and it was probably only when I look back at the DVD. I don't tend to look back at many games, but I look back on that game. I just realised how fortunate I was to to play in a game like that for a, for you know a brilliant club and. Uh, yeah, it was just just special looking at back because it brings all the memories back. You don't like you tend, especially now, still playing. I don't tend to look back. I always you're always driven and looking forward, and I don't remember too much stuff in a sense. But I always, when you kind of look at it back in the DVD, or as I say, when I'm bored, sometimes I'll always. That's why I collect the programs. I'll always just go in when I have a bit of time to myself, and I'll just pull a program out and start reading it, whether it's 
five years ago or ten years ago. I think it's brilliant to be able to do that, you know, just to look back and think, oh, bloody hell, you know. So that's, as I said, I look back at the DVD and I just thought how fortunate I was to, to kind of play in that game. It was brilliant. Yeah, very, very special occasion. And then obviously the following season, we, we moved to the Rico, a season in which you were made captain. Um, that was a season where we finished eighth in the championship. So talk us through that season, that first season at the Rico, Michael. Yeah, no, I just, you know, I remember the first game so well, a bit of a, I don't know if you have been told, basically the story from the pre-season that uh, it carried into the first game of the season. So we went to Ibiza in pre-season and uh, we played in this Ibiza Cup and we got to the final and we played QPR. And you're thinking, it's never nice to be playing teams that are in your division. So I remember we played QPR in the final and we were beating them 2-0. And uh, they came back and beat us 3-2 and they won this cup. But they were celebrating like they won the European Cup. And like, I was thinking, what are these doing? Like, you know, they were giving it loads, like really sort of rubbing it in and uh, left a bit of a bad taste. But Air Force game at the new stadium when we eventually got there, because I think we played the Force 4 away, was QBR. And I thought, these are bloody getting it. These are, these, like, we were well up for it. Well, I know I was and I was only a young kid and I was thinking, these are... These are getting it like first game of the Rico. There's no way these are coming and beating us. And uh, I always remember that game so clearly in the tunnel before the game. Big Danny Shitu was like, he always done this thing through his career. He was a bit of a, tried to intimidate people uh, in a sense. Like he used his size and he was marching up and down the tunnel in front of everybody saying, it's Danny time, it's my time. Nobody's getting near me on this pitch. Anybody, you know, really trying to like, and I was standing there, I was only a young kid and I was thinking, like looking around, is anybody going to say anything here? Like, And he's steaming up and down the tunnel, really getting angry, punching his chest. Like if anybody knows Danny Shitu, he's an absolute man, monster. And I'm thinking, fuck's sake, I, I can't help myself here. So just as I'm about to start walking out, I says, oh, you... Yeah, you fat, you fat so and so, and he's like, "What?" His eyes, I could just see the whites in his eyes. She starts chasing me down the tunnel, so I ran out onto the pitch, like and sort of evaded him. And uh, he, he's like, he's going absolutely bar me that I've sort of called him out, and uh, he's ran up into our half before the game. I don't know if anybody ever seen this, and he's ran up and he's pointing at me, giving it loads, like in my face. And there's a few people sort of pushing him away. Obviously, just so he just took me apart. <laughs> but I, I, I sort of wound him up a bit in the tunnel because of what he'd done. But we went out and blew them away as well. And unfortunately for us, he ended up getting sent off because Big Dealy absolutely ran him ragged and tore him to shreds. We beat them 3-0. And uh, I think there was a bit, you know, from the pre-season game and us that, we weren't going to let them come and, and do what happened the pre-season, you know. So we were, that game was like, a, it was a massive game for us and a brilliant way to start the new the new ground off. There have been many other great occasions at the Rico, Michael. Uh, I remember one game, the sellout cup tie against Chelsea. Um, do you have a favourite? I always remember that Chelsea game well mm. and it was a bit of an anti-climax, to be honest, because it We'd done really well to get there and it was a big game. And I remember we played Sheffield United that midweek in the build-up to that game. And I think, you know, I always remember myself as a player, I was more looking towards the Chelsea game, thinking, oh, you know, and going into the Sheffield United, it was a kind of game we didn't need. And we lost the game 2-1 to, to Sheffield United. But I think everybody had one eye on the big cup fixture. And I remember the day sell out everybody being there and it was what we'd been sort of waiting for since we got to the Rico and 
I'll just remember the game like quite vividly. We never laid a glove on them. I think they beat us. Was it one? Was it two 0 or one 0 And two 0 Mark. Yeah, I think Drogba scored, didn't he? Yeah, they scored early, and we yeah. never laid a glove on them. They, they, it was you know because usually in cup games you, you get a feeling with them thinking we're gonna have a go here. You know, after five minutes these aren't up for it, but I think we kind of knew early doors these were. It wasn't that they were well on it. We were just weren't getting near them, and it was. Uh, it was yeah, it was a kind of bit of an anti-climax. Probably best game at the Rico. I don't know because we had so like I remember that four season at, at when we went to the Rico. We we kind of were up and down with, with our form, and then I think we went on a spell where we won about ten games in a row with the Rico. We were really made it a bit of a fortress, and I think it was Preston that came and eventually beat us one nil, but. There were some great games like beating like Leeds and Sheffield United at the Rico who were like both like neck and neck trying to get promoted to the Premier League and um you know I always remember them two games very well because we beat Sheffield United I think we beat them 2-0 or 2-1 and beat Leeds as well and you know they were both big strong physical teams and you know we we had some strong boys as well but they were great games because when the likes of them teams torn up and that's what's going to be great for Coventry when they do get back to the championship is is playing these clubs again because the the fan base that they travel in, the numbers they travel in, it makes the game so much better. And when you're playing like Leeds and Birmingham's and teams like that, Wolves, and they're taking like seven, eight thousand fans, it just makes the atmosphere so much more enjoyable. It's it's brilliant, you know. And there was so many games like that where I played with with Coventry at the Rico with playing Wolves and they like eight thousand fans and beating them. It was Leeds the same. It was some brilliant days, you know. It's it's sort of hard to pick one, you know. And obviously you, you spoke about a couple of different games at Highfield Road and the Rico. What, what do you think is different about playing there? What, what sort of made both grounds very different? Well, I think, like, as I say, it's the character of a ground like Highfield Road. That's what, when I was at Portsmouth and Sheffield United, you know, their grounds, like, they're probably two of my favourite grounds I've played in because of, of the character of them. They're, they're old school, brilliant stadiums. And Highfield Road was like, it was an amazing stadium and, I know it was probably old or that, but I used to just love running out of that tunnel and looking or torn out left and you'd just see that double tier stand behind the behind the goal and the fans and it was brilliant. Like there was some great days in it and you know, obviously going to the Rico it was performances and that dropped off. You you really notice it with when the crowd and that don't turn up and it's you know, a lot of gaps and it's hard to get an atmosphere going. That's that's the one thing I'd say with Coventry. I know when we were in the championship at Highfield Road, I think we used to average about twelve to fourteen thousand, but the ground still looked really, it still looked fairly busy. But you go to the Rico and it's, it looks, you know, you get twelve, fourteen thousand, and it look can look fairly, fairly empty. And I think the compactness of Highfield Road and the old grounds are are what makes them, you know. Whereas a lot of new grounds, as as impressive looking as they are when they're in them, they. They're, they're, they're just all the same they're big bowls and you know it's it's tough to really create anything in them one of my um, one of my favourite memories as a fan was the uh, the away win at Old Trafford in the League Cup which I'm sure you remember um, what do you remember from that night? just like just what an unbelievable occasion and probably forced like uh, forced time playing a top team like that and yeah, it was just like, you know, listen, nobody expected us to win. But what I do remember was the, the numbers that the fans travelled in. You know, the Coventry had been out of the Premier League a, a good few years. And, you, you know, as I say, the one thing I'd always say to any Coventry player now, a young fan is, you know, know the history of of your club. And 
Coventry's a massive club and people sort of forgetting that and listen it'll come back and have its day again I know it will but you know Coventry in my time growing up were like they were in a Premier League team they were an established Premier League team so them few first couple of years at Coventry were tough because the expectations were always to get back to the top and a lot of the time we'd be around you know fighting relegation in the championship but what I remember that night was was travelling up there and just massive numbers, you know, hearing from sort of friends and there was busloads leaving from the Rico and 11,000 fans. And what I do remember was walking out the tunnel that night and looking down to that away end and it was just top and bottom tier, full Coventry fans and just thinking, bloody hell, amazing. And this is what this club's all about. And I think the fans, had, you know, they'd just shown like what they'd been waiting for, you know. And uh, fortunately for us on the night, we went out and, put in a great performance and got a victory and it was just something that lives with you, you know, it was just a just a brilliant sort of day and to play in that environment like sort of Old Trafford and to take that type of fan base and win, it just sort of, you don't expect it so it's just like, you just treasure it and uh, unbelievable memories, you know, I was, I was captain that night which was amazing and John O'Shea who had played under a lot of under 21 football it was captain so it was a it was a great night, but I always remember with the Man United players, like they wouldn't give any of the players their jerseys, and they wouldn't swap jerseys with anybody because they got beaten. And I don't think it was more sort of players. I think it was obviously Alex Ferguson. He mustn't allow that type of thing when they got beaten. But it was uh, it was funny because obviously everybody wants to top it off and and get a jersey, you know, after the game after winning. Sort of. And, and I think I was the only one who got a jersey. I was fortunate enough. John O'Shea s- snuck me his after the game, and I was on the bus. He came and gave it to me. But I don't think anybody else got one. But it was just a just a great night, you know. And I remember driving back, and we played Charlton then on the Saturday at the Rico. And you're thinking, right, time to kick on now. And we we kind of we drew the game of Charlton one all, and it was kind of a bit back to reality of the fairy tale was over, and it was back to the the grind of the championship. You're listening to Sky Blues Extra. You left the Sky Blues to play for some big clubs such as Leeds on loan and then obviously you signed for Sheffield United. What was it like leaving the Sky Blues and what and briefly describe your time at those big clubs? Yeah, it was it was I think listen, Ray Ranson had come in and I think Ray was looking to do things differently. I'd I'd signed a new contract now and I think the last year of my that time before I left Coventry, it was probably my worst year at Coventry in a sense. I just didn't enjoy it. Chris Coleman was manager, and I, I you, you can get a feeling. I just felt like they were trying to, you know, I was the captain of the club, and Chris had come in and took uh, over, and uh, you know, I'd been suspended, and I came back like fighting relegation, and I came back and like he. You know, I was only young, but he'd made Stephen, Stephen, he didn't even say anything. It's just Stephen, I was captain. Nothing was said to me. It was just like, I was back into the team. I think I came back and we played QBR and nothing was said. And I was kind of like, all right, fair enough, you know. But I was young, you know, so it kind of hurt me, like, just to, you know, have the captaincy taken off me like that. Whether I deserved it or not, that doesn't matter, you know. You know, Ian Dowie made me as captain and Chris had come in, but it was fine but he didn't even say nothing to me and then we were fighting relegation and I always remember it and I was really struggling I had I needed a hernia operation and I needed a micro fracture in my ankle which is quite a bad injury they were saying look just get let's just get safe and you can have these operations and um you need to I needed two operations I need to get them done but I was like it was tough like I was 
it was just tough getting out there because my body was like it was hard and you kick the ball if anybody knows when you have a hernia it's like so sore when you kick the ball like that and my ankle was like me and Andy Marshall actually needed uh, micro fractures which are quite serious operation on, on, on our ankles look there was no way I was going to miss it you know I wasn't going to risk the club going down and I think we beat Plymouth one of the last games and I was fortunate me and Jay Tab scored we won 3-1 I think that more or less kept us up but we went right to the last day in the end down down to Charlton and uh, we got hammered at Charlton but fortunately for us Leicester lost I think I drew a stoke and it kept us up in goal difference and uh, I kind of knew that year no matter what I was doing I was I always remember playing against Derby and that scored at Derby and we lost 2-1 and he took me off you know and I was getting into that habit I always remember with Chris I got into it was nothing personal he was a, he was a good fellow I just you know obviously I was young and they were probably looking to move me on whatever but and that's what it worked out in the end but I'd always got into this habit of playing under and when I played when there was a sub being made start looking over towards the bench because I'd always felt like every time he was going to take me off you know when in games and that what was happening was probably the most of being taken off in my career was that year and it was just bugging me and at the end of that season I'd spoke to him after I think we played Ipswich away and spoke to him and he just said look if there's something elsewhere for you next year no problem we won't stand in your way this and that so I was like really fine because I'd kind of knew in that season that you know the you know where you're kind of they're looking to do different things and uh, came back that pre-season I'd signed Sammy Klingen and Sammy just been relegated with Norwich and I was kind of thinking look I I feel I'm a better player but fair enough I'll fight it out but I knew in that time that Leeds had said to me look they were waiting for Fabian Delft to move to there was talk he was going to move and it was just look at when he goes Leeds are going to come in for you on a year long loan so I was thinking I'd just watch Leeds losing the playoffs in League 1 to to Millwall and I thought yeah I'll have some of this This if I'm leaving Coventry that's where I want to go Ellen Road 42,000 in a playoff game against Millwall I thought yeah that'll do for me and it ended up going down the literally leading into the first game of the season. I think we were playing Ipswich or something. And on the tours there, I got a phone call. Delph, I left the training ground scene. Delph had gone to Aston Villa and literally pulled into my house and Chris Combs on the phone saying, listen, Leeds have come in for you. I said, no problem, thanks. You can go and speak to them. And Simon Grayson rang me right away and was like, listen, you're going to, get yourself up here if you want to come we're looking to get promoted you're going to play Saturday we're playing Exeter and you know it was just like sold it to me and I was thinking yeah I want this but it was when I got in the car then and I was driving up to Leeds with me now wife who was my girlfriend and we were driving up and we were driving past the Rico and I was like I've got to be honest like I don't cry a lot but I was in tears in the car so I said to my wife I don't want to go I don't want to go, you know, because all, all I knew was Coventry. That had all I'd known for like the last seven, eight years of my life. And I was that, I never, never once sort of looked outside thinking I want to go to, I want to go here or I'd like to play there. I was just like, all I seen was Coventry. It was like, I was just in that bubble. I, I loved it there. Had friends, I was settled in the area, but I just loved playing for the club. And I had a couple of chances to go to Birmingham when Steve Bruce was there and Eric Black uh, under Mickey Adams and and then Ian Dowie and I turned it down twice and then when Dennis Wise was Leeds manager I had a chance to go and my head was never torn to, to leave I always thought no I want to achieve something with Coventry if I achieve something with Coventry it'll, it'll mean more to me because I felt like I was part of the club and 
I'd had tough times at the club and I was up and down, but I just just something about Coventry. I loved it there. And uh, as I say, driving up to Leeds that night, I was. I was in a, I was thinking, I don't want to do this. And got up to the hotel and it was a bit, oh, I don't want to do this. And, and it was just like, I just kind of had to break it down in my head and think, listen, they sort of want, you know, not that they didn't want me. They wanted me to move on. I could go back and fight. And I would have, I knew I would have I'd have played. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to take this opportunity, sort of fresh start. And, I drove, I've got to be honest, I drove into Leeds training ground the next day and I thought, oh my God, like genuinely I thought, oh my God, like this club. The training ground was like unbelievable, like big complex jacuzzis, ice baths, swimming pools, state-of-the-art gym, everything was just amazing, did a good team and then I got to Ellen Road the next day for the first game, like it was 25, 26,000 league one game, first game of the season and I thought, do you know what? Maybe, maybe there is something outside of Coventry now. Maybe it kind of opened my eyes a little bit and think, right, you know, put your eggs in here and, and give it a right go. And I think, kind of, if I'm being honest, I think straight away I knew that, right, I don't want to go back to Coventry. It was nothing to do with the fans and that. I, I signed the thought, right, I've done my time there. You know, Leeds was was brilliant. It looked like a club that was driving forward and it was going to achieve things. They did a great team, and I just fitted into it. And you know. We we managed to get promoted. It was like unbelievable. Last day of the season, with ten men needed to win, and as I say to you, it was was a sellout at Allen Road, forty two thousand. It was just unbelievable, and and that's why you play football. Just occasions like that, and as I say, we we had a great FA Cup run. Managed to beat Man United again at Old Trafford, which was amazing as well. And I'd experienced that with Coventry, and people were saying to me, "Oh, what, what's it like to beat Man United uh, playing for Leeds?" Oh, well, I said, "I done it with Coventry," so it was. Uh, I had that feeling that was um it was brilliant, but it was uh that was a great year and again it worked out funny because we ended up getting promoted and I ended up back at Coventry under AD Bootroyd who had sort of managed Colchester in uh, League One and I played against AD's team and I was like I was a good player for Leeds in a sense, I was one of the strong players and I think AD kind of took a liking to me and and he got the Coventry job so it kind of put a bit of the caboose on, on me going to Leeds and, and AD took over at Coventry then. You spoke about it was a difficult decision to to leave Coventry, um, but you actually then came back after being promoted from League Two of Portsmouth. Was it a hard decision to join up with the club? Um, and we also heard that you were sort of really key in recruitment that season. Yeah, it was, if I'm being honest with you, I went to Portsmouth and you know, it was tough to leave Portsmouth and uh, as I say, everywhere I've been, I've always like invested myself in clubs in a sense when you play for them and I don't, uh, my family, we've always lived in sort of the Coventry area and even when I played for Sheffield United and when I was at Leeds the year alone, we were travelling up and down a bit and, you know, when I was at Portsmouth, we had young, ki- young girls and the kids were young and it was... Uh, I, I kind of it was a bit selfish in a sense when I left uh, Sheffield United because I, I did kind of make a phone call to come back to Coventry. I rang, I think it was Andy Harvey, he was the kit man. I said, Andy, listen, that's me finished at uh, at Sheffield. I says, um, do you want to have a word there with Tony Mowbray? I, I think it was Tony was in charge, and, and he was like, leave it with me. And he went up and asked a question, and he came down five minutes and he said, no, nah, listen, he said, uh, not for them, not for them, not what I'm looking for. So I was like, really fine. And, Portsmouth, you know, I kind of thought, right, Portsmouth, but Portsmouth was, like, was a tough one on my wife because it was a bit of a selfish football decision. I was in my, I say, late 30s, I was, think I was 34, 35, and 
decided I'm going to travel three hours away and how am I going to do it? But I kind of was, I played against Paul Cook's teams at Chesterfield and they always played lovely football and I thought, this, I knew Portsmouth had had tough times, couldn't get out of League 2 and I thought, this fella, I played against him and he was a proper character but he was a proper good manager, I mean, proper good manager. You could just tell the way his teams were in the pitch and I thought, I want to play for him. So when the opportunity came, I kind of grabbed it and I was travelling up and down for two years. I used to travel up and down on a, a Monday morning and then I'd, co- co- I'd stay down Monday and I'd come back Tuesday, I'd go down Thursday, come back Saturday, wherever we were. And put a lot of toll on me, sort of family life. But football, it was a, it was a brilliant and it was, you know, two two great years because I learned so much off, off Paul as a manager, first of all, and then to sort of achieve a, a promotion at, a, at such a big club. It was, it was brilliant. And then... Um, the opportunity had come up kind of, it was about the Easter weekend at the end of that season. We were just near getting promoted and I had a phone call from Coventry. I was down in Portsmouth and Coventry kind of reached out just out of nowhere, out of the blue. Tommy Witherington ran me and said, listen, we're looking, we're going down, we're looking to do something. Would you, we believe you still live in the area, this and that, we'd love to get you here. Like we said, we've watched it at Portsmouth, we'd love to get you here and we think you're the type of person that would help this club get back to where it needs to be. And I was thinking, I mean, I'll never forget it because I got off the phone and I said to my wife, she, we were in the hotel and I said, so you wouldn't believe who that was? And she's like, who? And I said, Tommy Withering. said, who was he? And I said, well, he's the Coventry uh, head of football. Well, she was nearly doing cartwheels. Like, you know, she was like ecstatic because it, it was tough on her, you know. She was bringing the girls basically up on her own for two years, and she she knew what Portsmouth meant to me. But I think as a family, it was just the right time, and and time is everything in life, and and that's like you know Coventry had had a terrible year going down to League Two, and Mark had kind of gone in and picked up a few results. They were already in a cup final. Mark managed to get them organised where I don't think anybody gave them a chance against Oxford I'm being honest you know Oxford were quite a strong team and yeah. went and got a result and you could see listen I knew Coventry but 40 odd thousand at Wembley it was just amazing for them and that didn't sway me one bit like if I'm being honest with you going back to Coventry was them winning that cup because without being disrespectful nobody really looks at that cup like it's a big thing but the one thing it done for me is showcase Coventry as a football club but they never had that like uh opportunity for years and going to hang around the championship and getting to Wembley it's a massive occasion for any club but you could just see that's what Coventry fans are waiting for they were like we're here we're ready this is you know you give us a bit of success this is like the potential look behind you and you know 50,000 fans it's uh so but that didn't sway me it was like right time and I did I I went back there and I when I got that phone call the only reason I was going there was thinking I'm only going there if I think we can get promoted. I ain't going out there to finish my career because I would never sort of play in a sense to, you know, at the stage of my man, you want to achieve things. And I was never going back to Coventry thinking, right, I'll just finish my career. I was going back as sort of as driven as I'd ever been driven in my life, you know. And we heard, obviously, that you're sort of influential in the McNulty move. And I think Andy Morrell mentioned you've always sort of helped Coventry when players have sort of been trying to settle in. But, yeah, just talk us about the McNulty move and how, how you were sort of involved in that. Well, Mark's like, uh, he's like, he, he just uh, sort of follows me about. He, he just, when we were at Sheffield United, he came down on trial and he was this little cheeky sort of chappy, you know, like... Uh, 
But he, he just had something about him. He had a presence, you know, a little smiley head. But he, anybody that knows Sparky, especially Coventry fans, they'll know he's just a bit of a real little cheeky little chappy. And he kind of caught me eye right away. And uh, but I always remember the first time I seen him, he was just doing finishing. He was on trial and he was putting in balls left, right, foot, top corner, bottom corner. He just wasn't missing the target. And I was thinking, Jesus, this kid is good. And he'd come from Livingston. But then I kind of looked up his stats, like when I went back that day home, and I looked up my, and I'd seen he'd scored a lot of goals and played a lot of games for someone at such a young age. Coventry, um, Sheffield United ended up signing him that four season. He was like a sub. He ended up top goal scorer. He was coming off the bench every week and scoring important goals, but he could lead the line. Like he was only small. He, he had so many attributes. I thought he's a great player, but Nigel Clough was like he was the manager. And Nigel was like he was he was he was good, like but he was mad. And Sparky used to come in like sort of like delighted with himself, scored two, and Nigel would be like, "Well, you run them out, you lazy little." And Sparky would be like, "What?" Like he couldn't. Believe it, but they used to keep him on the toes. Something first. They used to give him like, but you know, he he did always bring him down. But but he was great. Like he was such a good little character. But. I went to Portsmouth that next year and Portsmouth uh, was sort of looking for a striker and I was like, look at McNulty and they didn't know too much about me, I'm telling you. And, you know, Paul Cook, what do you think of this fella? And I said, I'm telling you now, get McNulty. I said, he'd be bloody, he'd be lethal and they weren't too sure. And I kept, look at, go and get him, I'm telling you, he won't let you down, trust me. And they eventually got him in and he ended up being brilliant for Portsmouth. He's, again, top goal scorer, he came late in the season, he was brilliant and, he ended up costing us getting promoted, Mark did, down at uh, Portsmouth because he pulled his hamstring and uh, we were in the playoffs and we pl- he played the first leg and he was brilliant, but I think he, he scored and he tightened up. We went down to Plymouth the second leg and he just wasn't right, like his hammy had played up with him and he was, you know, just wasn't fully fit, but I'm convinced that he'd have been fully fit with with won them playoffs. And uh, as I say, then I came to Coventry and, you know, speaking to Mark, I went and literally won the league at, uh, won the league on the Saturday at Portsmouth and had a couple of days celebrations and on the Tuesday morning I went into Portsmouth and uh, you know in my head I knew Coventry wanted me but I was kind of you know I was club captain at Portsmouth but they were driving forward as a club and I went and spoke to Paul Cook and he said look we want you here next year uh, we'll get a contract over to you in the, over the summer we'll get it sorted and I said, no problem, sound. So I just went in and I kind of just got in my car. And I don't know what came over me. I just thought, right, that was great. I said goodbye to all the lads and I just got in my car and I uh, was driving home and I rang Tommy Witherington. And I said, what, where are you? And he's like, um, I said, listen, I'm on my way back. He said, from Coventry or from Portsmouth. I said, do you want me to drop in? And he's like, what? I goes, uh, do you want me to drop in and have a chat with you? And he's, uh, do, you, do you want to get your agent? Or I said, no, I don't have an agent. I said, I'll just come and have a chat with you so I went down to Tommy and he was at the training ground I went in and just he just just basically knocked out a contract with him agreed a contract and I said right I'll, I'll sign uh, and he was like what and I said yeah look I'll just I'm gonna do it I said um, sometimes there's not a better time to go and I think I'm gonna do it and he was like right well the gaffer will be in tomorrow come in meet the gaffer I said no, no problem and in my head I was like I'd gone away and I was kind of doubt myself and what are you doing like you know and but obviously something was leading me so and I went in to meet Mark the next day and uh, I went in and, and was speaking to I just went to Mark and the first thing Mark said to me is right are you happy with the contract this and that I was like uh, yeah yeah and he was like right we're not letting you leave here today till you sign it and I was kind of thinking shit 
Like, I was kind of thinking, all right, I'm not too sure if I want to do this, but I didn't say that to Mark, saying, all right, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> Mark, he was like, right, bang, yeah, he was great, like, to be fair to him, he was, right, this is what we're looking to do, You're, this is the part you play, I don't know who's going to be captain, this, I said, look, uh, don't, that things like that don't bother me, I said, I'll be the same character, don't worry about armbands for me, I said, you'll, you know, that doesn't even matter to me, if you feel someone younger I'll support myself I'm not bothered about that I said all I'm interested in is getting promoted and uh, he was like right right just bang get the contract signed and uh, I signed it and I kind of had to ring up Portsmouth and sort of say to him look it thanks very much amazing time and you know I love it love that club the bits like I genuinely do it's such a such a great club like they were a fan owned club yeah but it was a tough decision and um I'll be honest with you, my heart was like torn, thinking, you know, am I doing the right thing? And it, it happened. But then once I'd done that, it kind of eventually that led on to helping Mark. So he was, you know, we'd be in regular contact about players and that. And one of the first players I'd mentioned to Tommy when I spoke, I said about Mark, I was like, listen, Mark Nulty. And he goes, yeah, yeah, he's on our list. And I then start speaking to Mark. And I think they made Mark an offer. And Mansfield like come in and Coventry weren't near the offer and Mansfield then were quite keen to to get him tied up Steve Evans and uh, Mark Mark had just said I'd spoke to Mark a few times so what's happening he said well we've offered him something he's not alright you know and uh, obviously like Coventry must have been trying to get him fairly cheap but I was quite I'd say he was saying look we're looking at this fella and I was sort of saying Mark look at Gaffer I was saying you know this fella he'll do the business said the thing for me is if we get this fella he'll score us 20 goals we get promoted I said and, and we'll sell him we'll sell him we'll get a couple of million pounds and you know it's, it looks good on everybody and uh, the gaffer was like right and then it kind of went dead if I'm being honest and then about you know Mark must have got word that Sparky was close to signing for uh, Mansfield because I was speaking to Sparky and I was like come here and he's like look at the offer they've given me it's a, it's a great offer and you know, Covenant, and I was like, right, and then Mark just rang me and said, what's going on with your mate? And I says, well, he's, he's flying down tomorrow to uh, to sign for Mansfield. And he's like, don't don't, don't let him, you need to talk him out. So I was like, <laughs> I was like, right, so I was sending Mark pictures of bloody the Rico Arena and Mansfield ground, not being disrespectful, but I was like, look, Asparity could be playing in this every way they're promoted. We go and look at this game. We've got bloody thousands of fans. I says, you, you know, you get promoted here, they'll never forget you, and you know, I wasn't being disrespectful to a Mansfield, I'm saying, but things that it's just the size of the clubs. And it basically got to the point where Mark was like, Can you find out what the deal is that he got at uh, at Mansfield and uh, see what see what we can do? And I was like, Yeah, no problem. So I got Sparky to text me the deal he was on. I was like, Oh, bloody hell, great. So I was like, Straight on to Mark. I was like, There you go. Like, so Mark, to be fair to Mark, it was always like brilliant man management, to be fair to him. The first thing he done was he rang me back. And he says, listen, we can do this. We can do this deal. And I went, great. And he said, there's one problem, though. And I said, yeah, what's that? And he goes, are you okay? Are you okay with him getting that money? And no manager had ever thought, look, I was just delighted to get married. And I went, listen, don't worry. Because like, I've never been that type of player worrying about what anybody else is on. I said, look, you woke yeah. up there. I says, like, you know, you, you get him in. I said, that'll be the difference. I'm happy. You'll never have a problem with me when it comes to the money I just want to be sort of successful I was like I was never interested in the money side but I just at that stage of my career all I was interested in is getting sort of you know promotions and medals and I just thought like it was you know that that set off sort of brilliant for me with 
with Mark that like the fact that he didn't even have to ask that but I thought like you know brilliant fair play you know it was uh, it was a nice gesture but as I say it was never an issue for me I was always I negotiated my own deal and uh, you know you, you always know you can get more but as long as I was happy at what I got I would never be interested in what anybody else is you know Hey I'm Ryan Reynolds at Mint Mobile we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does they charge you a lot we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Picture the scene. All of your mates around, you've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Partner this with your team playing champagne football. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. There's nothing quite like a McDelivery. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. You're listening to Sky Blues Extra. It's absolutely fantastic story there, Michael. Just wanted to dig a little bit into the the League Two season itself. Um, obviously, it was the lowest the club had been for you know over fifty years. Um, you know, we obviously needed to get promoted straight away. Now, from a fan's perspective, there were quite a few highs and lows that season. I seem to remember a fan coming on the pitch against Forest Green. Um, you know, giving his thoughts, and obviously you uh, you escorted him on f- off fairly yeah. swiftly. Um, there were also some games that felt like big turning points. Um, I seem to remember Mansfield away, where we came back from a, a goal behind to get a point with ten men. That felt like a big turning point in the yeah. season. Um, and of course, there were lots and lots of highs as well, culminating in a in a dismantling of Cheltenham away. Uh, to pretty much secure the playoffs. So, yeah, I just wanted to get, you know, your perspective on those highs and lows from from the players, really. Yeah. I, I just think, like, if I'm being totally honest with you, it was a bit of a fairy tale in the end to get promoted the way we did. And you ask anybody, there's no way better than going up through the playoffs. But if I'm being honest, you know, I think that team, we underachieved. We were a, we were a decent team. And, you know, it took time though to gel. To be fair, we 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 dismantled them. The club was dismantled. It was, as you say, it was at an all-time low, and they signed a lot of players. And some players walked, some didn't. But it just took time. The one thing that sticks out for me that season is inconsistency is probably the biggest word because we never seemed to. I think it was like some stat that we never won three games in a row or something like that. We'd always be stop-start and. I think it was people getting used to wearing that jersey. It's a heavy jersey. Like any big club you play for, the jersey can be heavy at times to wear. And, uh, you know, with the expectations from the crowd and and, uh, and things like that. And I think people found, probably some people found that harder than others. And that's not, a, it's not a, a pop at anybody. It's just that's the reality of playing at big clubs. And some players took longer to settle than others. But, um, yeah, I think like, you know, Mansfield, you're too right. That was the turning point in the season. You know, thing, the first game of the season back for me, I never thought I'd get to wear a Coventry jersey again. And as I said, I left Portsmouth and I was a bit torn, thinking I've done the right thing. And, you know, but once pre-season started, it was like I was fully invested. And, you know, every doubt was gone. I was like focused on that. And as I say, you know, we had a, a great pre-season. We went to Spain and we were fit and, you know, pre-season was great and, 
you know, we had a few setbacks along the way, like Steve Taylor, who was Mark's assistant. He was a massive, like, brilliant assistant, one of the best assistants I've worked under. Steve, one day before the game, took ill, had a bit of a, he'd had a previous brain issue and he was just running out one day after training and, and he went down with that. And I think I think that might have been before, and you know, one of the early games of the season. So to lose Steve was, like, massive and, you know, Mark had to sort of rearrange backroom staff, but doesn't help and, you know, getting someone in new to, you know, it was all little things going against us. And uh, one thing, like I'll always remember, was the first game of the season when we played Notts County and they were rolling into town and Notts County were the favourites for the league. And I think the previous chairman now was quite vocal about what they were going to do in the league. And, you know, they'd signed this and that player. And as I say, I didn't think I was going to wear the Coventry jersey again. So I was just revved up for that thing and back out at the Rico and, and and for me personally it was a bit of a it was a bit of one of them we kind of had to say new generation of fan it was kind of win people over again I was a different I was coming back to Coventry as a different player you know I was like I'd been that first spell where I was kind of like you know people seeing me for running around and tackling energy you know probably my frustration that first spell was people didn't want to see you know, if I could pass the ball, they'd only see the bad passing, but I was a young player developing, but I came back to Coventry and I was a different player. Like I was, a, I still had that physical presence. I was still fit, but I felt I'd improved a massive lot, like, you know, on the ball, like I sort of like trying, turned into when I went to Leeds, kind of, you know, playing through midfield and that, and I loved it. And I was going back to Coventry thinking, you know, I'd, I'd had things to prove myself. I, I'd, I was thinking, you know, I, I wouldn't say I had a love-hate relationship at Coventry the first time, but I think a lot of people, you know, when things weren't going well, it was always, I was probably the first one to, uh, you know, get yeah, get him out of the team and then they'd love you. And, you know, as I say, Coventry had gone through years of a uh, bit of negativity coming down through the Premier League and finding their way in the Championship. And I was coming back, I was driven and... Uh, I wanted to show people. And I always remember that first game, like sort of a few early tackles and that kind of laying down the law and things were changing. You know, I was, we had players, we were, we, we, in my head and like, I'm sure the manager that we were getting promoted. We didn't have time to hang around and, and kind of league two and, you know, win 3 nil, brilliant. And then go to Grimsby the week after and beat them 2-1. It was like a couple of thousand fans there thinking, yeah, this is it, this is brilliant. We're going to be on the march. And, you know, we we just we we you know Sparky, Sparky couldn't hit a barn door when we signed him. I'm telling Mark he'll score twenty odd goals and this <laughs> and that. And <laughs> I remember going up to like supporters meetings because there's all this stuff we wanted to bring the fans back to the club, and that was the one big thing for me when I came back. I knew there was a lot of negativity, and I was saying, look, we gotta get, you know, we gotta get these fans back and my head I'm thinking we get do well four six months of the season we get to go to these fans events and get them interacting with the players let them see who we are as people that were like you know it stops the negativity then the pitch on the Saturday if people can relate to you they can break down them barriers of like thinking that you're just a footballer and you don't give a crap you know we need to get I was thinking we need to get out and kind of invest with the, with the people the fans and get them back and everything's new you know I always look at when everybody's looking at the negative, I always try and look at the positive and go the other way. I don't get swallowed up down by the negativity. So I was thinking, when we'd come from Portsmouth, I went into Portsmouth. Portsmouth were at an all-time low as well. And everything we went in and park up was just positive, going, meeting fans and getting involved with them. And it, and it really played through over them two years. They just got right behind the team. So 
that was sort of the aim of when we went into Coventry was building that relationship with the fans again and I remember going to a couple of fans meeting early doors up in Leamington and sitting there and, and uh, I'd gone out in the press I think the week or two before and Mark hadn't scored and I was saying like McNulty will score don't worry 25 goals and some lad sitting there and he asked me a question and I'm sitting there and he's like oh yeah what about that McNulty you've done an interview saying 25 goals yeah like good good joke that like kind of having a pop at me and I was like oh right you know uh, I said I'll stand by what I say mate I says um I do think he'll score that, I said, and, you know, we'll see. And, uh, you know, but as time was going on, Mark couldn't, just wasn't happening for him. He was putting more pressure on himself. And uh, we used to, like, be travelling back from games and that. And me and Mark would sit down there the sort of front of the bus and, you know, Sparky would be quiet on the bus at times. Like, you know, just you, you get frustrated. And I'm saying, don't worry, it'll be happening. And, uh, like, Mark Robbins always had this real dry sense of you, to be fair to him. He was quite funny, like, and uh, he always used to walk down the bus and sort of wink at me and say, all right. And I'd be like, yeah, yeah. And he'd be like, he'd give Sparky the nod and he'd look at Sparky and kind of shake his head at me and go, effing him, like, and have a laugh. Like, we both start laughing, but he walked down to Sparky one day. I'll never forget it. And he was like, all right, yeah. And he was like, don't worry about it. You know, one will run off your arse soon, this and that. And Sparky's like, yeah, yeah. And Mark's looked at me, like, Mark Robinson's looked at me and gone, the Sparky, Sparky, what have you done, yellow? Have you shagged the witch or something like that? <laughs> <laughs> it was the best comment ever, and Sparky started like pissing himself, laughing. Sorry for cursing, but both of us were just in stitches laughing, like he was quite very dry, like sense of humor. It was just the best comment ever. And to be fair, one of the next games we go up to Stevenage, and what happens? Someone volleys a ball off Sparky's backside, and and it goes in, and you know he never looked back after that, and. Timing and, and everything, timing's everything because that night we lost Jody Jones. We lost Jody Jones, but we gained Mark McNulty. It was like we'd signed Mark McNulty that night because we'd lost our main player. And then we, we without we, without us knowing, we'd sort of, we had a new star man. And, and like it probably took three months, but you know, we'd gained two unbelievable players. We got Sparky score, and, and then young Tom Bayless came into the team who was like, he just lifted things up another gear. It was like, it was unbelievable, as I say. And, and Sparky never looked back after that. It was, uh, you know, it was just, it was just brilliant. It was what we were all waiting for. And uh, as I say, the fans absolutely idolised him after that. And it was great to see, you know. And as I say, the one thing I'll always look at it though was, at that time was, you know, Mark stuck with him, you know. And I think a lot of other managers would have chopped and changed. And Mark, to be fair, I think Mark really invested in Mark. Robbins, I think he loved Sparky's character, you know, they had a close bond in a sense, because as I said, the Sparky was very bubbly, great around the training room, great trainer, great around the dressing room, he was a big personality, and it's hard to be a big personality when things aren't going your way, and he weren't, but he was still the same fella, and that must be hard to put that face on, but, you know, quality always comes true in the end, and fair play to Mark, he stuck with him, and, you know, we all reaped, reaped the rewards when, when he started going, Um as I say, I, games that stick out, probably the one that probably got us promoted that year that I think that people don't even realise is when we went to MK Dons in the FA Cup. Do you remember that game? Yeah, BIMO scored, didn't they? Yeah, but we 10,000 fans sort of travelled with us, lads, and it was like, it was 10K to MK, and I remember that game because my season was nearly, I thought my season was over because I blocked the shot in that game and I'd done my knee in the first half and I thought, oh, 
I've managed to play the game. We won one nil, and we're all buzzing. And uh, I, I, I'm thinking something not right in my knee. And I was the type I never want the physio. I thought I'll be all right Monday, and I'll ice it. And we're playing Cambridge on the Tuesday. We went in on the Monday, and I wasn't right to train. So on the Tuesday, I was like, I'll do a fitness test. So I went down the training ground at four o'clock on the Tuesday. We're playing Cambridge, and next day was transfer deadline day. And uh, I'm thinking, oh, hopefully I'm all right. We're playing Cambridge. It was a big game for us because, look, at the league was the bread and butter. And I went down to the training ground uh, with Pauline, who was the physio. And I ran up and down the straight line. I thought, I feel great, I feel great. And Pauline was like, yeah, can you twist and turn? And I was like, yeah, yeah. So I went to, like, twist and turn. I was like, oh, it was like getting stabbed in the knee. And then she was like, I was like, oh, I should be all right, I won't. So she's like, passed me the ball and I'd done my medial ligament, basically all the signs. And I went to pass the ball and it's anybody that's done a medial ligament tell you it's absolutely excruciating. If you try to play that side foot pass, which when you play in my position, everything's side foot. Mm. And I was like in pain. She's like, and I was like, listen, I'm, I'm not right, Polly. And I said, this is what you think. And she's like, medial ligament, she says five, six weeks. And I'm thinking, oh, can't like be out for five or six weeks. Like I need to need to get back. So look at just give tonight. Let's just see. We'll assess it. Like I think they knew the type of person I was. You couldn't say five, six weeks. It was just like let's just see how you are for the next game. So I was like, right. So I've gone in and got a shower, rang the manager, Pauline had so I've gone down to watch the game. So I've gone to the dressing room and lads are all sitting there. I said, No, I'm dummy nail, struggling for a few weeks and I'm like, well so I'm sitting there and uh Gaffer pops his head out of the uh, out of his office, gone Doyler, and I've gone yeah. He's gone come here, so I've gone into the office. I says you all right, Gaffer. He's gone yeah yeah. I said, uh, well how is it? And I says oh it's just killing me, you know this night. He's gone need a favour, and I says well what's that? And he's gone uh, need you to play tonight. I says what? <laughs> just failed a fitness test, and he's gone yeah. I just need you to manage the game, manage the lads. I says what do you mean? He says. I says, I can't kick the ball, gaffer. I says, I literally can't kick the ball. I said, I'll play. But I said, I'll need to strap my knee up. Like it's, it's like, and he's like, look, just don't touch the ball. Just run around and manage the lads. He said, we need you. He said, Ben Stevenson has rang in. He's got a, uh, a migraine. He said, it's transfer deadline the next day. I think he's basically doesn't want to play in case he gets injured. I think that's basically what happens. Ben went to Wolves the next day. I was thinking, what? And he's like, yeah. He said, we've nobody else. Look, I can't put anybody out on eat. So I've gone into Paul, he says, all right, no problem. So I've gone into Paul and I says, listen, I need you to strap my knee up. And she's like, what? I goes, uh, I'm playing. And she's like, no, you're not. I says, I'm playing. I says, so you need to strap my knee up. She says, you can't kick the ball. I says, no. I said, just get some DP out. Uh, I've done it before. I said, and I was at Portsmouth. I, I fractured my shin. I said, I just put DP on it. Give me some painkillers. I said, strap up a big strap. So... Um, We've gone out into the game, and if anybody, nobody will remember it, Cambridge on a Tuesday night, there you go. But any time the ball came to me, I was just literally booting it away into channels. I, I was running around like Billy the Limpet on one leg, and uh, it was funny because the last, last, like literally, we were winning 2 1, it was a comfortable game. And last minute of the game, we kind of broke on a counter attack, and I thought, I'll have some of this. So we've just sprinted off. I knew the game was done. And I ran up the pitch and, and Jack Grimmers put a cross in. It just fell to me on the edge of the box. And I just closed my eyes and hit it with power because I knew it was going to be sore. And I ended up scoring one of my only goals that season. And uh, <laughs> yeah, as I say, my knee, my knee was like, I managed to get through that game, a few painkillers. But the story of that one is then we played Forest Green on the Saturday away. And I thought I'll be able to just do this every game now. 
I'll be able to just manage it. I'll never forget it. We played Forest Green. I'm sure Coventry, some of them will know because what are Coventry doing in Forest Green? They'll be probably thinking, I mean, a good crowd. And I just remember the start of that game. The ball came to me and I literally couldn't move. Like, I was literally on one leg and Tom Davis had sort of said, what are you doing, Doyle, like this and that? And I was like, oh, Tom, I'm knackered here, mate. I'm on one leg. And after that game then, I, I come out of the team. I had to come out. We fair to Mark pulled me that week. I wanted to play because we were playing Ackerton next week where the, the massive crowd turned up. I think we 25,000 fans. Remember that game? Yeah, I was there that day, yeah. uh, Michael, and uh, you were sorely missed that game, yeah. And Mark had said to me on the Friday, look, if you're not right, you're going to... And I was thinking, I know, but I want to play. Like, these are the types of games you come back to Coventry for. And I went out and tried to train, and like AD and Mark were kind of looking at me like, listen, and I, I did, we were doing a bit of crossing and finishing, and one came to me and I kicked it, and I just walked away. I was fuming. I was like... I just went straight into the physio I says, listen, I'm, I'm done. What do you think? She's like, look, you're probably looking at, you know, five, four or five weeks. She's just gonna, and I was like, right, I had my head. In my head, I was thinking, right, that's it now for, you know, a month, possibly two months. And, you know, everything kind of turned after that, unfortunately for the team. I'd come out and we just couldn't buy a win. We went to, we went to, uh, Accrington beat us. I think we went to Colchester on a Tuesday night, got beaten. We went somewhere else on a Saturday and lost. And it was a bit of a panic then. Everything was like, you know, it was a bit of panic. And fortunately for me, I was like, I was thinking, I need to get back. I need to get back. Like, and I wasn't, I was thinking, I need to get back. Like, you know, we're going to need to get promoted. And who do we play? We played Brighton in the FA Cup. And that game, I wanted to play in it, but I thought, look, I got sacrificed that. Like, I was thinking, I've had my days in the FA Cup. I was thinking, right. Mansfield's the game I got to come back from Mansfield like which was you know it was giving me an extra week or so to recover so I spoke to the gaffer and, and Mar- to Mark and that and they were like look if you can get back for that Mansfield game that'll be that'll be great so I was just like pushing myself everything the physio was telling me she was like don't be I went down with the team to Brighton I was like I'm going to go for a swim and she's like don't be swimming and I was like, yeah, no problem. I won't. The first thing I done was got in. I'm doing like breaststroke and that because obviously you're putting your knees and that out, and I'm mm. my knees like clicking. I'm thinking this is not right. But after a couple of minutes of doing it, the pain was gone. I was thinking, right, just keep building up. Everything you're telling me not to do as a player, you always do the opposite. You know, I'm running <laughs> down the stairs and I'm at home running up and down the stairs. This is fine. This is fine. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we went to Mansfield, and I just done the out. I'd given myself a few weeks to recover and it was like we well, need to get back and but that Mansfield game was like a big game because Mansfield were like 20 games unbeaten now they'd drawn a lot but they were Steve Evans team they were flying they were absolutely flying and they were going into that game thinking right let's have a go and we again like Coventry we travelled in massive numbers game tips off and you're thinking yeah this is going to be a tough game and then after five minutes, they play a ball over the top. And I don't know if you remember, Jordan Willis took the lad down on the edge of the box. Red card. Yeah, yeah. yeah. really early on, wasn't it? Yeah, five minutes. And I'm thinking, oh my God, what's mm. going on here? We did too, yeah. Our hearts sank a little bit at that moment. <laughs> Just to make matters worse, he ends up scoring from the free kick. Like It's not even a penalty. He scores like a... You know, I'm sure it was a bad free kick. You know, we, we, we were this... And you're thinking... 1-0 down, these are unbeaten in 20, they're flying, we're down to 10 men. So it was kind of like a roll your sleeves up moment of, for the weeks previous, five or six, we've been rolling over a bit, we were going through a bad form and you're thinking, right, this is where as a team now, it's days like today you get promoted, it's down to 10 men, you show a bit of 
a bit of character, you know, let's go, let's have a go. And we, we managed to get in at half time, one nil down, you know, because we were under a bit of pressure. And if I remember rightly, probably could have gone down to nine men. I think Steve Evans was quite fuming after the game because I'd done quite a heavy tackle on the right back, Paul Anderson. But I knew in my head the ref wasn't going to send me off. But I was kind of thinking in my head, need to lay down a marker to these because they were kind of taking the mick and they were all laying us. And I was thinking, we need to, you know, we need to give, you know, we need to get into them, kind of disrupt them a bit. And we start making a few fouls and, you know, the sideline was getting upset, the players were getting upset. We disrupted them a bit. And I think Big Jono came on, Clark Harris came on at half time and we changed then and we managed to get a penalty. We drew one all and, you know, we went down to Wickham again. I don't always remember that game, but that was another one never to forget about minus 10 driving down uh, there. Absolutely. Seriously cold that night, wasn't it? Oh, stop. And the uh, coldest I've ever been in a football pitch and Sparky gets a penalty score and everything kind of rolled on from there. We, we, I think we only lost possibly one, two games the rest of the season, which was a quite heavy defeat, which shocked us at home to Yeovil. But we'd gone from being on a really bad run that week to picking up seven points. I think we beat Barn at home on the Saturday. So we'd gone to Mansfield, Mansfield Drew beat Wickham away who were flying beat Barn at home we picked up seven points and all of a sudden we got that bit of momentum again and, and creeping near the playoffs Yeah like you said Michael we finished the season and we got to the playoffs we played Notts County at the Rico we drew one all on that rain-soaked day McNulty scored didn't he the penalty at the end there um, the second leg at Meadow Lane was memorable what was the build-up like in the training ground before that game? Yeah, I think I think it was quite relaxed, like, you know, I say Gaffer, to be fair, and they're always quite relaxed and you know, the team was picking itself at that stage, you know. It was uh we we the team was kind of picking itself and the the, the reason why I say MK Dons was like a kind of defining moment in a sense. What you'll you'll always have different defining moments, but the reason why I say MK Dons was because the numbers the tran- the fans had travelled in and that was an FA Cup environment and anybody that knows when you get into the playoffs it's a lottery it's the FA Cup it's that 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 kind of game had made us ready for Notts County that's what I think in my head I always thought when that season the MK Dons was the game that kind of got us ready for the playoff semi-final I felt that environment of playing in front of large numbers in a, in a kind of winner-takes-all game was was the one that, that you know it kind of made us ready for the, for the this, certainly the second leg at uh, Meadow Lane when when you turn up and um, you know as I said before you know Coventry you know being the club it was it being the Premier League for years they'd never had any playoff involvement in that and uh, you know in all my clubs since I'd left I'd always been involved in playoffs and and FA big FA Cup games and and um, we we Coventry were getting the first taste of it and you could see when we went to Meadow Lane that night how up for it like the fans were and as players, like we were, I don't know how the lads were, but, you know, I can only speak myself. The lads were, they, of course, they were well up for it, but I knew for me, you know, days like that, yeah, days like that were running out, you know, that I wasn't going to experience it too much of me. So I was just, I just, like, personally, I was just, like, enjoying the build-up, like, you know, I say enjoying it, I was so focused. It was like that environment where you just, you know, you love you love big games as a player, and that was a big game, like in a sense, and just being focused. And you know, again, we went to 
Notts Cricket Ground and anybody that knows Nottingham the Cricket Ground City Ground and uh, Meadow Lane are all right next to each other and as I say myself I just kind of had me food and that and the lads were kind of you know sitting around I just went up I, I managed to get up onto like the you know very top of the old stand and I was just sitting there and I could see all the fans coming in to the pulling into Notts Forest Ground I think and walking along and you could see them in droves and I was just sort of, I was enjoying that bit of the build-up. Nobody, I was just sitting up in some stand and, and Notts Cricket Ground watching everything going to build and you could feel the energy around the city from the Notts fans as well and uh, had, the, had the meeting at the Cricket Ground and that and you could just tell everybody was focused and as I say, as a player, you always get a feeling in the pit of your stomach and I had a feeling in the pit of my stomach that night that we were up for it, you know. You, I could just tell we were focused and didn't know if we were going to win because obviously we'd heard about how formidable they were at home and they'd beat us a month or two previous, 2-1 there. and We knew it was going to be a tough task, but I could certainly tell that there was a different feeling and it was something you probably hadn't felt all season. A lot of times I hadn't felt like that. and It certainly felt a different game for me. It did feel like that. I could see all the boys as well. It felt different for them. You could just tell with the look in everybody's eyes and how focused everybody was and as I say, then once we got out into the pitch, and uh, I'll probably do a disservice there. It was the it was the way into the ground that was like knots were heavy. All the pups, the beer gardens were full of knots. Like they looked like they were out in the numbers. And then when we turned that corner, and you know the Coventry fans, it was like you know must have been a thousand, couple of thousand, maybe maybe I'm exaggerating, but that was an unbelievable feeling, like standing up and. You know, it, it was actually the hairs are actually standing up my arms now, just thinking about when the bus turned around the corner and you're like, you know, one of them sort of Liverpool nights where they welcomed the away fans in the, the ground, their fans did that for us. And it was just like unbelievable feeling that you never really get moments like that in your career where your fans sort of welcome you into the ground and into an away ground like that. It was just like, phew, you know, let's let's kind of let's let's have a moment like you know we're we're up for this. These are up for this. Like, let's go, and and that's 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 what it was. And do you remember much from the actual game itself? Is it a bit of a blur, or uh, and obviously celebrating with the fans afterwards? We go on about the the fan and that who ran onto the pitch at Forest Green that night, and my words to him, believe it or not, I don't know if anybody knows it, but I'm sure I said it after. Too sure, <laughs> and it was like. What you doing? And he, this ain't effing good enough, you know. Typical negative. And yeah, of course we shouldn't have been losing to Forest Green, but unfortunately in football, no matter how good you are, you're always gonna lose games. And yeah, Coventry shouldn't be playing Forest Green if you want to look at like that because of the the history that Coventry have. But unfortunately, the club is where it is, and you gotta do something. And that's what we were trying to do. And. I just said to him that night and sort of no uncertain terms is listen, get off the pitch and you know, you're the only you're the one that's gonna lose out, mate, if you, you get banned from the ground and you know, whether he did or or not, you know, it was kinda because I said to him when we do get promoted or whatever, you know, you won't be there and <laughs> you know, it was going back to that moment then at Meadow Lane of playing in that game. I kinda remember it well. I remember the game well and it was, uh, yeah, as I say, we were, you could just tell that night we were we were on it. We were forced to every ball. Our back four were winning headers. And, you know, one thing about Notts County, what they would have been really strong at all that season was they were quite a direct team, but they were very strong at set pieces. 
And the first goal we scored that night was a set piece. You know, it was the second phase of a set piece. Jordan Willis wins the header back across to Maxi, who bangs in an unbelievable uh, overhead. And we were just like, you could just tell that energy in the players and the fans. There was everything we'd been building just exploded that night. And listen, we might have had some decisions, but, you know, I'm at knots now and I don't, I'm not, I'd never try to upset anybody, but I always just felt that night, if they score three, we'll score four, you know, you just, with the way sort of Sparky was going, Sparky had that swagger about him, he was, everything he was touching, he was scoring, if he wasn't scoring, he was, you know, passing unbelievable balls and Bayless, like, it moved back out to the right wing, whereas in the previous game at home, he played in the number 10 and Max had played in the right wing. You know, their their best player in the fourth game who caused us problems was Daniel Jones, the left back. Daniel Jones, you know, an old DJ, but if you know him, he's kind of like a left winger. He's not a great defender. So to put Bayless there, second leg, Bayless sort of ran him ragged. I always remember Tom, like, it was just a nightmare to play against. Tom was running inside. He was passing balls, running, you know, making them defend, which they didn't want to do. And we, we kind of turned it from the fourth leg on its head and, you know, as I say, it was a it was just just an odd that that night for me, it was an unbelievable night to be honest with you. Like I had one the year before with with Portsmouth. I actually got promoted with five thousand away fans at Port, with with Portsmouth at Notts County and uh, that was an unbelievable day. But just to, to win there that night and there was a bit of a rivalry with ourselves at Notts County that, you know, locally two clubs are quite close and both looking to get promoted and uh just to win that night, it was, it was amazing, and to, to top it off and sort of get to Wembley. But I think every man to a tee that night, you know, they were they were outstanding. Even people like um, Big Jono came on; he was, you know, give us a lift again when probably a little bit tired. And people like uh, Dominic Coyne, who hadn't had a lot of game time through the season. Tom Davis, unfortunately, got suspended. Dom came in, was outstanding, and. You know, that moment from Dom, he never looked back since that, you know, he's only gone from strength to strength and it's uh, yeah. it's just, you know, it's brilliant. It just tells every young player about, you know, you get an opportunity, take it because I look at people like Dom, Dom was on his way out, you know, he was going to leave the club in the January period because he wasn't getting much game time, he was struggling to play and he was just a great professional, like, in the way he trained, the way he held himself, the way he was with people, he was just like, it was just, it was just brilliant. And if anybody deserved an opportunity in that and take it, it was Dom. And as I say, to see him now, he, he's never looked back. You know, so it's, it's, it was just a, just a brilliant night. You know. You're listening to Sky Blues Extra. Moving on to the the playoff final itself, um, the thing that I always remember about that day is it was extremely hot. How did you prepare for the day? And also, as one of the older heads in the team, did you have to kind of help the younger lads with the occasion? Yeah, we we just prepared. It was like at that stage, listen, your training that's done. So we won at Notts County. Went out that night, and it was a bit of an early night to be honest. Which it was a great night, you know. I say it's moments like that you never forget on the pitch. The game after the celebrations were kind of I don't want to use the word sort of epic, but it was. It was just like yeah, you know, being there. It was just amazing to be in that environment, and you know, I've been a fan of football teams and Gaelic teams where you go and support them and you know to give your team that appreciation so I've been on both sides of it and you know being that fan there's more joy but as a player you were just like you know soaking it in with them and just thinking you know the hard work is paying off it was brilliant we'd all work so hard we all wanted the same things and 
you know, over the course of the season, there's so much frustration and fans get frustration and it comes onto the pitch sometimes, but you expect that as players. And as I say, especially when you're playing for big clubs, it's you're going to get it. You have to expect it. But when, the, when you get the good times like that, that's what lives with you forever is them moments of like celebrating and you know, it's something, you know, when you look back and think about it, it's something that you, you all have as fans and players, we'll all always have that memory in Notts County because I don't remember too many more away days like that where I thought, you know, that that was special. And as I say, going into the Wembley game, then I kind of felt when we beat Notts County the night before Exeter had beaten Lincoln and I felt in the playoffs, their toughest game was going to be if we got Lincoln in the final. They were probably the only team for me that... I thought they'll give us problems, you know, because physically they were quite strong and they always tried to nullify the Crowley brothers, always tried to nullify, you know, the opposition's strongest players. And we'd played them at the Rico a few weeks previous and it was a great game. They beat us 4-2, but they were quite shrewd in how they went about. And it was like, if we get them at final, it was going to be tough. So, you know, kind of beating Notts County, thinking Exeter, you were thinking, right, you know, this is made for us. For myself personally, I'd been to Wembley a few times before and I'd lost with Sheffield United in terrible circumstances and goalkeeper missing a penalty in the playoff final against Huddersfield. Shocking. And then I'd lost the playoff uh, FA Cup semi-final against Hull City where we were 2-1 up, you know, really cruising and we ended up losing the game 5-3 and you're thinking, you know, nearly playing an FA Cup final against Arsenal that would have been unbelievable so for me personally I was sort of thinking I can't lose a please can't lose have that Wembley jinx you know I can't I was just thinking please like let me win one you know let me experience of you know winning at Wembley is the build up into that game we yeah, I was quite relaxed training boys because you've done all your training I think Mark it took us away to Champagne's for a, a night and it's pretty low key you know me myself personally going into the game I'd actually had a bit of a tight groin I was struggling with Toy grind and I was worried like going into the game because I knew there was no way I wasn't going to play and I missed training a couple of days on Champneys and that and I just didn't it just felt like my groin my left groin every time I kicked the ball it was that type of hernia and um, I was thinking I just wanted to be right for the final I didn't want to be you know managing myself through the game so I went and seen this physio in Birmingham who's you know quite good and had a load of treatment off him and he gave me some exercise to do and I was really holding myself back, like, you know, the day before the final and just getting through training. Didn't really want to kick many balls and that. And I was doing everything he told me. You know, I was just hoping I was going to be, you know, sort of 100% in the, in the, in the final. And, uh, you know, again, the build-up, you know, lads were pretty buzzing. My, my experience, every time I've played at Wembley, it's been baking hot. And the amount of players I've just seen going down with cramp, like, it takes yeah. so much out of you. Like, it just... It just, I don't know whether it's the whole atmosphere, the heat, you know, you just get, you, you, you get the dry throat after like five, ten minutes. And that was my experience. So I was sort of saying to people, look at, drink loads of water, get salt into you. But I was room with Sparky. I always room with Sparky. And the night before, like I was drinking like litres of water, which I'd always drink a lot of water. But what I do like the day before games and the day of a game is I always drink like, like seawater. I literally put, 
tons of salt in my bottles of water. Like, I mean, it's literally like drinking water out of the sea. But that always, I used to suffer with cramps because I'd sweat that much. I'd lose all the salts in my body. So every game, like, I'd always be drinking salty water. Anybody would ever pick up my water, they'd be nearly getting sick if you, if you ask any of the lads because it's like, it's quite strong. But I was saying to Sparky, get that water in. You sparks, like, get the salt in. And he's like, ah, oh, no, no way, I wouldn't drink that. As I'm telling you, and I always remember then getting into the game and after about five, ten minutes, Sparky rang up to me and was like, he was like, Dyla, I'm gone here, I'm gone, I've nothing left in me, I can't feel my legs, I've gone to jelly, I'm, I'm cramping already, I was like, I told you, mate, <laughs> I told you, you know, uh, but I'll always remember that, so, yeah, but again, like, I just remember being thankful going into the game and in the warm-up, we warmed up and I started opening up, passing balls and that, I thought, felt fine and that peace of mind of like, I'm going to be fine and, Personally, and the team, like the team, were pretty confident. As I say, we'd had some, we you know, chelting them away. We we just sort of hit form at the right time. We are, we'd had a lot of confidence from beating Notts County. We'd gone through the tough game, which was a horrible game to go through with Morecambe at home. I don't know if you remember that the last day of the season. Yeah, absolutely thriller, wasn't it, Doyle? Oh, lads, <laughs> it was the worst game ever to play in because it was like if they got a draw, they stayed up. If we got a draw, we got the playoffs and. I'll never forget. I don't know if you remember, but the last 20 minutes of the game, they're sitting back on that bloody, on that 18-yard box and we've got the ball and I'm getting off Tom Davis, passing it to Jordan Willis and their fans are going mad like attack, attack and I'm thinking, yeah, but, you know, I just didn't want to, nobody, you could see they were happy to take the draw and we were thinking, we wanted to win it, but you don't want to get caught on the hop and you score and you end up out of the playoffs. Is that when Barnet went down, Michael? It was, wasn't it? Yeah, and yeah, there was more was, than yeah. Martin Allen, like, and Paul Walsh did the commentary and I don't think he was too complimentary and I spoke to Paul <laughs> Walsh after the game. And But what can you do when both teams have got everything to lose? It was, you know... Yeah, yeah, and listen, there was a big crowd that day, but as I say, once we got to the final, I always... We, like... First half of the game, we were in control until Stokesy took a head knock and he was he he started bleeding. So we went down to ten men and they came into the game a bit, kind of even the game out. But I always remember we felt we were in control and uh, you know second half we went down and just we we blew them away. We got the early goals and you know we got one, we got two, and then you know it was just a it was just a brilliant day to top it off. Just uh, just a great sort of feeling, you know, to eventually get a win at Wembley, but to achieve a promotion as well. It was amazing. And bringing it on to this season, uh, Michael, with uh, obviously Coventry sitting pretty at the top of the, the League One table, how, do you, how far do you think they go if they can get promoted? And what kind of job do you think Mark Robbins is doing at the moment? Oh, listen, unbelievable job, you know, mm. um, promoted and had a year and got a formation now where they just look, they look unstoppable, you know, and I've watched quite a few games this year. Last game was up at the Portsmouth game and, you know, it wasn't the best of games, to be honest with you. But I always felt if any team looked the threat, it was Coventry. Coventry looked like the team that were trying to win the game. And Portsmouth had been on a great run of uh, winning 12 games in the bounce. And, you know, Coventry looked like, you know, they were really, you know, it wasn't a brilliant game. I think they kind of nullified each other, stopped each other. But I always felt Coventry looked the, the, the most dangerous one to score. And, you know, Matty Godden come on and, and scored a great goal. Just quick quick play, you know, from a throw-in, quick throw-in, Pompey switched off. And, yeah, as I say, they've been impressive and, you know, they just keep building and look quite formidable and, you know, stepping up again, it'll, why not? You know, speaking to Mark when I went there, believe it or not, he was, 
you know, I want to take this club back to the Premier League and they look like they're going to be one step away from it. So it's, uh, you know, hats off. And as I say, they, they look, um, you know, got good hungry players, have recruited great. Everything that you want, it seems to have worked well for them. Yeah, it seems like the formation seems to be working for the players they've got, doesn't it? That three at the back with the wing-backs seems to really be doing brilliant for us this season, doesn't it, Michael? Well, yeah, I mean, again, if you're going to play that, you need to have good uh, you know, wing-backs. And They're vital, aren't they? Like Callum, you know, he had a great year and I wouldn't say he's dipped off, but he's, you know, last, you know, probably month or two watching he, he, his performances probably haven't been as as high standard as what he set himself but you're going to get that with young players but mm. the lad the right back like for me that Dabo I think he's outstanding I think he's absolutely brilliant you know where uh, it's like a steam train isn't uh, it strong powerful whips in a great ball and mm. uh, you know probably goes unnoticed large parts and probably only starting to get the recognition but if you're going to play that formation you know you the players are crucial and then they've got that as I say and you know Dominic Hoyam and Rose playing either side of the full backs and then Walsh in the middle of the park he's mm. he's outstanding you know he's his range of passing and you know is short short passing he, you know love to see when midfielders they punch the ball into his you know his passing's brilliant but I played against Liam Walsh when I was at Portsmouth and he was a young kid on loan at Yeovil yeah. and you know, you could tell then he was having a bit about him. Like he, I remember getting into a few tackles and he wasn't backing down. You know, we at Portsmouth then I spoke to Paul Cook after me. He was like, yeah, we like him. He was at Everton then. He's young. He had that, you know, scouts lad. They have a bit about him. And uh, quite surprised, I'm being honest, because I thought he was really going to kick on. He's had a couple of moves to Birmingham and Bristol and they just don't seem to have worked out for him. But he's dropped down a level and, uh, you know, he's massive... He's a massive part of what they're doing. Callum O'Hare played against them last year at Carlisle. I thought he was outstanding when he was at Carlisle. Was, uh, he was a brilliant player and I thought, bloody hell, he's a great player. Again, great upbringing in Villa Academy. Obviously, technically very good like them Everton lads. They've they've got a bit about them and, you know, it's all right getting these lads in loan and that, but they got to be hungry and, and that's certainly, when you look at the likes of them too, they've got that hunger and desire to sort of they ain't hanging around. They want to kick on and, and do and better themselves, you know, and Coventry are reaping the rewards of these type of players. And Michael, there's obviously been a lot of notable goals in your career. There was one against uh, for Notts County actually recently, but just in a Coventry shirt, is there anyone that you have as a favourite? I remember the, the Wickham Screamer at home. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, that Wickham one was like, <laughs> uh, I think that was better than the Notts County one, you know, but, People don't seem to give me the uh, the, the plaudits for that, but maybe after the Notts County one they will. But um, Coventry, probably the fourth spell I scored. I don't know. It's I scored a. I remember scoring a volley against Cardiff at Highfield Road where we lost three one on Sky, and that, I remember that that was a nice one. And then I managed to get another nice one against Preston. I don't know. I remember at the Rigo we won. 2-1 and it was Ian Dewey it was early in the season I think it was about eight games in and it was last minute when I managed to get the ball and put one in top corner but the, we went top of the league that day and it was like you know that was good but probably probably that Preston goal but I think I kind of look back and I loved my fourth spell at Coventry it was brilliant it was amazing and uh, but you know when you it was dropping into Coventry when you're in the situation you were in that second spell and uh 
you know, helping the club get back up through the sort of helping them start the climb through the divisions. And it was a great year. And I'll probably look at like the, yeah, that, that goal against Wickham was like, even if I didn't mean it, <laughs> it'll take some beating, you know. I was going to say, did you definitely mean it? But that's uh, that's a fair point. Well, the thing was, I just, you know, Wickham were a fairly physical team and they were quite niggly. And I always remember the ball dropping and the lad was, uh, just, the ball was dropping at me and this lad and I thought, right, let's have a hair, like, you know, put a bit Steam of it. it in. <laughs> and he's just backed off and I thought, well, I'm fully committed here. So I'm just popping this and I've let rip and I've looked up and the keeper's like tripping over like and it's it's hit the bar and didn't even see it go in as I say it's uh I went in and it was it was a Friday night as well so it got some good uh publicity because there wasn't much football on you know yeah it was a great great strike Michael just wanted to talk a little bit about um sort of life after Coventry obviously you went went to Notts County how was your relationship with the fans because obviously you know we did beat them in the playoffs so they yeah. have they kind of forgiven you for that now well, yeah, but like they're missing the Notts County fans. Have blessed them. They've been through turmoil since that moment that uh, Coventry beat them. Everything's kind of gone wrong, you know. And um, it's you know what I went there, and I think they were delighted to get me and put a bit of life back into the club. And initial first three or four games, it was great. But when I went there, we were ten points from safety. And if I'm being honest, it wasn't something that was planned. It was kind of last minute. You know, Notts County had been in for me most of that January and I spoke to Mark and I wasn't too sure I wanted to go. And there was an opportunity to sort of be a coach at Coventry and it was kind of like you need to go and play and get this out of your system. And, you know, it was tough because I was at that stage when I knew I had so much more to give. And uh, it was just hard because I was going to, you know, ideally you want to sort of stay and see it out at Coventry, but it doesn't always work like that. And my time there was, you know, it was brilliant, the second spell, and to achieve a promotion. But I think, like, you know, the thoughts of going on to the coaching staff was, was great. But Mark was sort of, he was like, look, you need to get it. You need to get this out of you. And, you know, and it was tough, you know, and your emotions are all over the place because it, without being disrespectful I think if I wanted to leave I could have gone probably elsewhere but family was important and I'd done the travelling on the road and you know Notts County were in turmoil in a sense they were favourites for the league again and they'd had an absolutely shock and I think they'd only won two or three games in the four six months of the season they had ten points from safety and kind of I was him and Han. I didn't want to go I wanted to go and I ended up eventually I ended up at Notts on the last day of the window and Went in and we we had some great games early doors. We played Lincoln, top of the league, drew one all. And you could see the place was buzzing. It was put a bit of life into the club. They were all, you know, this is what we want to see. Beat Forest Green away, who were second, 2-1. They were buzzing. Then we beat Mansfield at home on a big derby. We clawed ourselves right back into it, you know. But like everything, when you try and paper over the cracks, the cracks always come back and... You know, everything after that then was tough, you know. It was, I was just like, the reason I probably didn't want to go to Notts County because when I first went to Sheffield United, it was very similar. I went in and it was just a bunch load of players on loan and it was just a, not a nice environment to be in as a professional footballer when you you go into a, probably a dressing room that's, you're looking at lads probably 
don't really care and they're not, you know, training well. They're not looking after themselves and missing games, injured, coming back. It was a bit, it was frustrating for me because one thing I'd always pride myself on as a player was always like trying to have standards. And, you know, I went in and, you know, as I said, the initial burst of everybody loving you, you know, it's fans were getting disappointed then with results like everybody was, you know, getting it. But I think for me, they, they kind of, you know, they talked to me, but it was, uh, you know, getting relegated on the last day of the season. It was horrible, you know. You're playing a, a club that, it's the, the history to the club, they, they're so proud of it in a sense because they're the oldest football league club. Yeah, and to lose that, it was like a dagger to the heart. And like anywhere, you would have experienced it at Coventry. I've experienced that at a lot of clubs. Unfortunately. The neg- yeah, the negativity coming onto the ground and players, uh, it's just hard. It's a hard environment for any player to survive in when... I could always handle it and the reason I could always handle it was from my four spell at Coventry because as I said to you my four spell at Coventry I loved it but at times times would be tough for me because people thought you weren't good enough to play and you know maybe you know but I always I always seem to find my way in the team but I always put that down to yeah like you know Coventry I always put it down to standards and Coventry standards where they were looking to Premier League their fans were used to Premier League and you know, not dossing around mid-table in the championship and that. And, you know, so that built me, little did I know that that was building me. When I went to Leeds, like, Leeds was like, you were going to games with Leeds and Leeds were taking over three sides of the ground. They were taking, like, going to Stockport and taking 8,000 fans. It was like, yeah. it was like ridiculous, like, and I was able for that. I was like, you know, I was, that was, I was used to that from Coventry, playing at Coventry. I was like, this is made for me. Going to Sheffield United, Sheffield United again, they were just like, you know, such passion, like, you know, Yorkshire clubs, their passion is, like, crazy, you know, and yeah. having to, like, there's nothing worse, you know, as a as a player, I'll tell you, lads, there's nothing worse when you lose a game and you play for a big club and things aren't going well and you have to go down and try and clap your fans because, you know, you'll get your lads that will clap you and, but you'll also get your other lot that'll be, like, maniacs down the front, like, abusing. <laughs> Waiting for and you. It, and that's hard as a player because it, you don't want to react to it, but it's, it's you know what I mean? It's, it's just like... But football, you also want to show how much it means to you as well. Yeah, you always have to acknowledge the fans and it's hard at times, like, you know, and I always say Coventry built me. I always remember playing for Portsmouth and we play at Barnet on a Tuesday night and things were going, you know, the force and we were on a bad run of farm and we took about 3,000 fans to Barnet and we were playing on this cow patch and we got up, we, we, we lost the game 1-0 and their fans were like... I'd never Pompey fans are always like amazing fair, just follow the team through tick and thing, clap you And this night they just switched, you know, they lost and having to go over and they're effing and abusing players. But I always felt as me as captain, I had to go over and address that and say, like, listen, just think what you know, and they weren't that's not good enough, you know. But I saw uh, you know, you have to go over and show that, like, you know, look at we do care, we know you're frustrated, but you know what, we you sometimes you have to go and address fans that are like that because it it's not acceptable, but sometimes as well, performances, you know, they're not always to the standard that you want to see, but I don't ever think it's with players and that it's, it's ever from a lack of trying and there's a lot more to it. And Michael, I'm sure, um, you know, none of us really expect to see the day when you actually finally hang up your boots. But is there anything sort of in the future that you, you think is something that you'd like to go into coaching, perhaps staying in football? Of course, listen, football's been my life and, I absolutely love it, you know, and 
you know, 20 odd years of training every day. And, you know, even when I wasn't a professional and I was working at home, I'd be out running at night and always looking back and them type of times I was plumbing. And the thing I prided myself most in them two years when I was a plumber was I never once missed training. And every other night I could, I'd be out running the roads at home. And, you know, my opportunity was gone to be a footballer. I got a lucky break at 17. Well, I got lucky, but let me tell you one thing. When I got that look, I never looked back, you know. It was like, right, I'm taking this. So it was like, you know, I'd, I'd done the tough yards on the building site and that, and it was a great job, but it was tough. And to go into that environment then of football, it was like, it was unbelievable. And I managed to, like, I'm still fortunate enough to be able to play and my body hasn't given up on me. And, you know, it's all I hear in this time is, you know, obviously times are tough at the moment, but everybody that I've ever spoke is play as long as you can. And, you know, and I'm doing that and I'm enjoying my football, you know. And as I say, it's very similar to Coventry. I've gone into Notts County and it's a club that's been at its lowest ebb and I've helped play a part and building it back up. And, you know, they've managed to move a lot of players that have been there over the previous years and suffered a bit of relegations that managed to move them on and bring in young, hungry players and, got great owners now that have come in, the Danish have a proper like, you know, business plan and how they're going about things and that. And I'm telling you, the one thing I'll say is like, I probably don't have, I don't have years left to play in, but I think Notts County, like, I'm going to be very honest. I think, you know, that you'll be seeing them back in the football league in the next few years. And I think that with the way things are looking at the minute, they're going to be quite a, yeah. a club that's coming, you know, in the next five years. And, you know, I think Notts County in the next five years will have a couple of promotions on the CV and be pushing up near that championship. I do with the with the way the whole club is being run now and how they're trying to do things. Michael, I'm sure that we could probably spend hours upon hours talking about your Sky Blues time and you know all of those appearances in a Coventry shirt. We really appreciate you coming on the show. Um, on behalf of Coventry fans and, and the thousands of Sky Booze Extra podcast listeners, we just thank you for your incredible, memorable and passionate contribution you made whilst wearing a Coventry shirt. It was such a pleasure watching you over the years and an even bigger pleasure for you to discuss and share your Sky Blue story with us this evening. Uh, thanks very much, lads. Uh, I don't know, but you've probably hardly got a word in there and uh, sometimes you get run away. It's just when you start talking about them... Uh, the memories and that you're going to lose the the rumble. Uh, uh, sorry about that, but you know, hopefully people enjoy it. And uh, as I say, it's always been a pleasure to to, to play there and now just to talk about it. It's uh, yeah, it was brilliant. So some some good memories coming back. And uh, thanks very much for that. Thanks for having me. And listeners, don't forget you can like, share and comment on our Twitter, Facebook and Instagram pages. All you need to do is use the hashtag #SkyBluesExtraPodcast. Thanks for listening to the Sky Blues Extra podcast. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.